You're listening to How Did I Get Here? A deep dive into our journey to find the dream job. I'm your host, Jason Fish, and today I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton. This episode is a part two of the interview with Cinco. On the first episode, we spoke about one of Cinco's biggest role models from a young age. Then we dove into his journey to get to where he is today. On this episode, we will continue our discussion and hear some more recent stories in relation with his career. All right, let's get started. In the beginning, we talked about the incredible story about your grandmother. And when I introduced you as Lieutenant Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton, you know, Cinco is not your, your middle name, but rather a nickname. How did, how did you get that nickname? Yeah, so fighter pilots, uh, we typically get call signs because of something silly that we do. And, and that's usually uh, something, you know, silly that we do very young. So, you know, my, my call sign is no exception. And I got, uh, I got my call sign uh, as a brand new wingman in the F-15C. And I was flying off my flight leads wing and, and we were good. We were supposed to go out that day and sweep out all the bad guys that are in front of us. The bad guys are, are just other aircraft from our squadron that are emulating, you know, uh, red air, we call it, or, or the bad guys in those situations. So we're going out, we're supposed to sweep out all these bad guys in front of us. And we shoot our missiles and we defend against missiles that are coming in at us. And we turn back in and we're going to the target area. And my flight lead doesn't see me. And he's like, number two, pause it. And what that, what that means is two, where are you? And I respond back, I see him, but I'm out of position. And I'm one, I'm, I'm right off your, your left side at the seven o'clock position, about five miles, but I'm, I'm bringing it in. I, I see you. 30 seconds goes by. He doesn't see me. It's like two. I'm, I'm still blind. Where, where are you? One, I, I'm at your left now, nine o'clock, uh, a few miles out, uh, and I'm, I'm getting back in position. So I'm basically where I'm supposed to be uh, in our formation, but he doesn't see me. It's hard to see aircraft, you know, when you're, um, you know, as far apart as we are usually when we fly. So he still doesn't see me and he starts uh, getting frustrated. He's like, two, where are you? And I'm, I'm right in position off your left wing. And I start flashing my wings. So I rock my wings back and forth because the F-15 is the size of a tennis court, nose to tail, wingtip to wingtip. So when you flash the wings and you turn it uh, up, the, it's easier to pick that out uh, against the clouds or the sky. So he still doesn't see me. And I'm, I'm getting upset at this point. I get much closer, much closer than I should be. I'm getting really close to his wing. He's like, two where are you? And just, you know, very upset. I'm upset too. I'm like, one, what is your problem? I'm right off your wing with a flash, which means I start rocking my wings again, flaring, and I start dropping flares, you know, big out the back of my aircraft and, you know, unmistakable, easy to find in the air. And there's a pause on the radio. And he says, two, are you flying off one of the bad guys we just killed out? And I look down at a map that I have the entire time. It's sitting there right in front of me of where my flight lead is. And I'm like 80 miles away from my flight lead, totally out of position because I, as we tried to defend against missiles coming in at us, I just saw this other F-15 and started flying off of their wing, totally in the opposite direction, completely low situational awareness. And so I plug it, I plugged the aircraft into five stages of afterburner. And afterburner is thrust augmentation. It dumps a bunch of fuel in the engine. It allows you to go super fast. 
but it also makes you run out of fuel. So I, I plug it into five stages of AB. I get, as, uh, you know, I get back on my, my flight leads wing as fast as I possibly can. And right as I rejoin on them, and we're supposed to be protecting this target area for, you know, 15 more minutes, I'm out of gas and I have to go home. So they named me Cinco for five stages of AB. That's pretty funny. How, how quickly can you cover, you know, 80 miles? Well, we're going at the altitudes um, that we're flying and, and depends on the winds, of course. You know, we're, we're typically flying around um, 500 to 700 miles an hour. Hmm. That's pretty crazy. Um, you know, going back to, you know, your job as the F-35 Integrated Test Force Director, what's it like leading a team of, of over a thousand people, you know, on such a large platform that's pretty much cutting edge technology? Yeah, I mean, it's humbling to to have that responsibility, but I, I just see it as this huge team effort, and I'm there to support the rest of the team. I need to understand the different roles that the team members play. I need to understand leadership to a certain degree, how to delegate, how to empower. Um, you know, I can delegate all I want, and I can empower all I want, but that that's not really the key to leadership. It's It's knowing how to follow up and make sure that um, you know, what you're delegating is appropriate, who you're empowering is actually aware of the type of empowerment they have, and that they're getting feedback if, if they're able to do more, or maybe they should be doing less. So it's the interaction with the people uh, that is, is the true challenge. But it's what I love. I mean, these, these men and women that make up the F-35 test force are, are simply remarkable. And that isn't just the Edwards integrated test force. That, there's a Pax River integrated test force. There's that joint program office and the team that's up there. I mean, there's a huge backbone of thousands of people that have helped develop the F-35. And, and we get to interact with all of them. And it's really, it's really amazing uh, to see so many professional people marching towards a goal that delivers this, you know, uh, once in a century type of aircraft to the battlefield. I mean, this is the first aircraft that is one, a dual role stealth fighter. So it does air to air and air to ground and it's stealthy. So it's the first aircraft that does that, but it's also the first aircraft that's going to be procured and uh, used by so many partner nations. I mean, we developed this aircraft with our partner nations. And so we're going to go on the battlefield and we're going to be speaking the same language right away with these, um, you know, these allies of ours. And the, the way we've gone about it has just been phenomenal to see the growth and capability, uh, what it brings to the battlefield and, and just everyone's passion to make something uh, that is truly remarkable. I mean, this is the preeminent fighter of the 21st century, and everyone knows it, and they're um, they're passionate about making sure that um, the warfighter is getting the product that they need in order to bolster American and really the free world defense. So I, I just uh, am honored to be a part of uh, such a high-performing organization and, and humble day in and day out with just the amazing work that these uh, folks are able to um you know, to turn through. And, and the technology on these planes is pretty incredible. You know, would you be able to talk about, you know, some of the technology and even, you know, the helmet, it's not like you're wearing it, you know, just an ordinary helmet while you're uh, in this plane. Yeah. You know, our helmet is, is amazing. The, the technology in general, it's a real joy to be able to interface and, um, and work with develop technology capability that has never before really been in an aircraft to this extent. So our helmet is a great example. Um, you know, it's around $400,000 that's on my head. And 
Uh, it has some really neat capabilities. Uh, it has some some video capabilities. So there's these cameras that are actually situated all around the aircraft. And these cameras make up what we call the distributed aperture system or DAS for short, D-A-S. And the, they weave together a video that is displayed in my helmet that allows me when I look down, I look through the aircraft. I don't see my feet, I, I see the ground. So it allows me to look around the aircraft um, and have situational awareness of what's going on on the other side of that metal. And that is just amazing uh, technology. And it's really cool. I mean, even today I flew a mission where I, I had that up for about, uh, you know, 30 minutes or so testing certain capability uh, of that DAS helmet interface. And uh, that along with a, a touchscreen. So we have an eight by 20 inch touchscreen right in front of us that can be broken up into four separate portals. Uh, I can mix and match those portals. It's all pilot selectable. Uh, each one of those Portals can have different, you know, video and different images that I can pull up or, uh, you know, different aspects of our capability. So it's just really neat to, to be able to interface, uh, you know, with technology that it's really never been in an aircraft before. That's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, switching gears a little bit, what's been the biggest turning point in your life and how has that altered your path? We all have these different points in our life, inflection points that, that really shape you know, who we are. And for me, it's no different. Uh, I try to reflect on them and, and make sure that I understand uh, where I have been and how that can help inform where I'm going. So I, I am reflective on those things. And there's been a number of them in my life that, you know, could be from uh, high school when I had a, a band teacher that really got me involved and, and changed a lot of who I am, gave me confidence that I didn't even know was there. And and instilled in me this desire to to be more extroverted almost. Like I, I found myself through these instructors and these people kind of telling me um, I should pursue certain things. I mean, I, even my dad, when um, when I was a young kid, my, my parents were actually separated and we ended up moving um, as a family. We moved back together to Colorado. I, we lived in Connecticut at the time. And my dad gave up everything he had on the East Coast to make that happen, to basically make the family work. And that's instilled in me this huge appreciation for family and the importance of sacrifice at times for things that are greater than ourselves, you know, like family and our communities and the, basically a, a service mentality that, that my parents instilled in me. And, and he gave up everything to, to make the marriage work with my mom. And, and he was a garbage, this is an Ivy League, Ivy League educated man that was a garbage man for six months and then built fen fences for another six months because he couldn't find a job, but he sacrificed all that in order to start over with my mom and they got remarried to each other. And, you know, that was a huge point in my life. And you've heard my grandma's story. And, um, you know, there's also these other instances where you're able to reflect and, and prioritize your life and, and what's important to you. And for me, the, probably the biggest one was back in 2008, I was in a midair collision. So I was flying my F-15C dogfighting uh, with my wingman, and we didn't see the collision, the impending collision. Uh, we're visual. Uh, we're, we're flying at hundreds of miles an hour. Uh, we are in a situation where our aircraft are at very high angle of attack, we call it. So um, they're, they're actually going slower than we, than we typically fly because we're trying to maneuver. It's still hundreds of miles an hour. Um, and we don't see this impending collision and we end up colliding and my wingman collides 20 feet behind my cockpit 
and it's a combined about four or 500 miles an hour. Um, he, he hits like, um, his nose, his aircraft goes through like my mid body of my aircraft. I lose my vision right away. I don't lose consciousness. I get it back a few seconds later. It's all this very, um, you know, uh, not a fluid memory, time compression, just snippets of kind of a memory. And I remember trying to, uh, trying to turn one of the engines off because the, the aircraft was telling me that it was on fire and that we have these rear view mirrors and an F-15. I look up, it's completely engulfed in flames. Just this crazy, um, I, hard to even explain chaos around me. And I, I pull uh, the ejection handles and I get out of the aircraft when I realize it's completely on flames and there's nothing I'm gonna be able to do. So I eject and while I'm under parachute, I accidentally drop all my survival equipment, which was another, uh, this is a bonehead move. Um, and I hit the water uh, in the middle of February, six foot waves, 70 miles south of Panama City, freezing right away. The, the water temperatures in the 60s. I have a life preserver unit around my neck and nothing else because I dropped it all accidentally while I was under parachute. And I'm in the water for a few hours and thinking I'm going to die. And, you know, you can imagine the life lesson of, of prioritizing your life in that moment where you think death is imminent and how it is going to. Um, how it's going to shape you and, uh, you know, being able to think about that now is, has been very rewarding because, you know, I, I think sometimes it takes those moments for us to really think about what's important in our lives. So I'm in the, I'm in the water and um, thinking about these different things about my life and what I've been living for. And there's a, a fishing boat that I see the rescue aircraft can't find me at all. Cause I don't have any of my survival equipment. There's a fishing boat that I see about a mile off and bobbing up and down the lanes and it turns away and it goes away from me. And then, you know, I definitely think I'm, I'm lost basically that it, the uh, sun is getting close to setting. And, and then I, I, uh, I look up after a few more bobs from the waves that I'm in and I see the boat is actually coming back towards me. And then it, it rolls up right next to me. And these three gentlemen that are in this fishing boat uh, pick me up. And this is a 25 foot fishing boat that's out for the day, 70 miles south of Panama City in six foot waves that just happens upon me in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so here I am, uh, you know, rescued, saved, uh, this opportunity to reflect on my life. And then in the same breath, it's so tragic because my wingman died. This friend of mine, this person that I'm responsible for, you know, uh, we're both responsible for safety. I'm his, I'm his flight lead that day. I'm responsible for his safety. And uh, and he, he died on impact the, the way we collided. And so you have these these moments of inflection that make you really uh, think about your life and also um, give you an importance of uh, how quickly uh, this all could go away. You know, it, it makes you think about um, these people out there that it, every day I'm, I'm thinking about the warfighter and these people that put themselves in harm's way, just like my wingman did. I mean, it was training, but we're training for combat. And and it makes me want to uh, make sure that they get what they need to to be effective as a warfighter. And, uh, you know, it, beyond this collision, I, I look back now almost, no, it's been over 10 years. So almost 11 years later, I look back and, and just see how it unfolded in this amazing way because I end up going to test pilot school. And during test pilot school, we do these projects where we, we take a technology that hasn't really been proven yet and we take it all the way through testing it in an aircraft. And it just so happened 
that one of the, the test management projects that they had for uh, our class, and there's usually four, and you just split up into teams of five to do them. Um, one of the projects was the first ever automatic air collision avoidance system where it's pods that the F-16s would carry that talk to each other. They recognize any kind of impending collision. And in the last possible second, they take control away from the pilot to avoid the collision from happening. And I was able to be a part of this team that is testing technology that's going to save people's lives, just like my wingman's life. Uh, life. And uh, you know that for me was just this aha moment, uh, serendipity at its best, where I am able to be an advocate for this technology, become a part of a team now, eight years, 10 years, no, from the from when I started working on it, eight years later, developing technology that's going in the F-35 and it's autonomous technology that's allowing the aircraft to automatically avoid the ground. And we're working to get F-35 so that it can automatically avoid other aircraft. And I've been able to be a part of this. And uh, I guarantee you um, my experience, the thing that has been a source of tragedy and reflection of my life, uh, my life and inflection point has been able to shape this uh, this future, and I've been able to be a part of something much bigger than myself. So you can see, you know, these moments in our lives, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to turn out. But I think uh, we need to keep working for the right reasons and trusting that there is a uh, there is another side of that. There there is a way out. And what I tell people all the time is, you know, we need to share our stories because you don't know if there's someone in that moment. Uh, going through a very difficult time where what they need to know is that there's someone else that's been through something similar. And if they have that, they can hold on to it and that can help them, um, you know, get through these hard times. But what it takes is our community of people uh, being, being willing to share our failures, being willing to share with other people what we've gone through in order of trying to help maybe uh, someone else out get through something similar. So I've just, you know, been awed by how my life has been shaped with these experiences. And I, I hope now I'm able to, you know, share them in, in such a manner that inspires other people or shows other people um, that there, there is another end of it, that resiliency is important and you just need to, you need to keep moving towards the, the right reasons, towards the right thing, and it'll work out the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. And it's, it's come full circle and pretty special that you've been able to work on a project that's been so near and dear to you. Yeah, it has been just so fulfilling. And I don't take much personal pride in it. I, I just feel like I have been placed here. Um, and right now, I can see that these experiences that I've had are, you know, bringing, uh, bringing about fruit. And it's really great to, to be a part of something um, and to work hard for, for those things, even though I, I know that it, it wasn't necessarily me um, you know, it, it just with the, were these situations, these tragedies, it was almost, a, it was, it was a failure in this instance um, that has kind of opened these other doors. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to try to make something, you know, come from this tragedy. Right. And while you have a personal connection, you know, this technology is pretty amazing. It's going to be saving lives in the future. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the automatic ground collision avoidance technology uh, we're testing right now in the F-35 and it's been in the F-16 for uh, about five years, and it's it saved eight pilots and seven aircraft in the F-16 alone. And and we're looking forward for uh, we're looking forward to it saving you know the F-35 pilots that it will most assuredly save. 
uh, autonomy in general is is really the next stage of our war fighting capability with aircraft. You know, autonomous life-saving technology is one thing, but we have the next steps of autonomous offensive and defensive capabilities that we can put into these airframes, which is exciting to, you know, to, to be a part of as well. And what's the use case for the ground avoidance? Is that primarily for someone who becomes, you know, unconscious because of the G-forces you're pulling? That's one of them, but what we call it is a controlled flight into terrain. And it's the number one killer of pilots. Behind control flight and terrain, the number one killer of pilots is air collision. So automatic ground collision takes care of the CFIT, control flight into terrain. Automatic air collision avoids mid-air collision. The CFIT encompasses spatial disorientation, uh, G loss of consciousness, so a G lock. It could even help with hypoxia, so a pilot uh, has a problem with their oxygen system. The aircraft starts diving towards the ground. The pilot's incapacitated and the aircraft flies it away and keeps it at a low altitude, keep flying it away from the ground uh, so that the pilot can actually wake up from uh, this issue and, and they could regain control. And, and that's the intent. You, you can't save every pilot in all situations, uh, but there's a lot of situations where this would apply. And there's other situations too in combat. You know, a lot of pilots get uh, channelized and and maybe they're, they fly too low during a, a, a gun strafing run. Maybe they're crossing a, a mountain ridge and they don't see or recognize that there's another ridge on the other side because of optical illusions that happen all the time when you're flying at 600 miles an hour at, at 500 feet. Uh, so it saves the pilot from all those different types of situations. What's some advice that you can give to someone you know, interested in doing what you're doing or just you know, young people in general? Yeah. Well, it's hard to, to say uh, specific advice because everyone's path is different and people have different desires that they want to pursue. I think it's important to, um, to be grounded. And, I, and what I mean by that is um, to live a balanced life. And in the Air Force, we call it uh, having the four pillars of, uh, it's a four pillars of an airman concept. So you have a, a spiritual pillar you have a physical pillar, you have a mental pillar, and you have a social pillar. So having these different aspects of your life um, and being grounded in that, I think is really important. And there are seasons in our life where we focus on one pillar more than another. Uh, sometimes work is going to take, um, you know, take more of my time than uh, being able to hang out with my family or friends. But th those need to be seasons. And in general, you need to, to ensure that you're trying to live that balanced life. So that's a, a huge piece of it because you can't work yourself, uh, you know, to death. You, you you can't be a workaholic or work too much. So you need to understand other facets, other ways that you can um, express yourself and and grow and learn and and um, be a part of your community, you know, and and really understand your role in that community. I think is really important. Beyond that, I think you need to pursue those calls that you have, that that desire that you're being pulled to. And I think if you're being pulled to make money or to gain power, like those, those aren't the calls I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the genuine desire to make a difference in some fashion and, and pursue that. And you don't know what doors that, that may or may not open. I think a lot of times people have this desire to go towards a goal. And while they're going towards the goal, they, don't, um, they may not recognize it, but they get to a certain inflection point where they, they see another goal that they want to do more than that original one. So they're able to make a turn and kind of go towards somewhere else. 
but they would have never been at that inflection point had they not pursued that initial thing that was on their heart. So I think it's important for them to go after what is on their heart and to be open to those other doors that may be opening. Because in the end, that that initial door may close and you need to be able to look around at that point and see kind of what you want to pursue. And it's been the same with my life as I, you know, um, pursued being an astronaut. And I, I loved the the path that that took me down. And I've loved the other, um, you know, uh, professional pursuits I've been able to kind of that I've been able to go after, uh, even with that astronaut door, uh, for the most part closed. But, you know, you never know. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to How Did I Get Here on your podcast platform of choice. See you next week for a brand new episode. Cheers. Cheers.